Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, he's a type one diabetic, ultra endurance athlete, life coach, and entrepreneur. It's Eric Dutcher. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Alex. Well, I'm so excited to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with our guests first is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Sure. So I am, uh, and, and this will come relevant uh, here in a minute, but I am from a small town called Sugarland, Texas, that is actually outside of Houston. Um, they, they did a sugar cane refinery there, and um, it eventually got absorbed by the city of Houston. Wow. I mean, people have heard Sugarland, but they probably could not pinpoint it on a map. <laughs> That's right. It's uh, it's southwest, and um, you know, I, I grew up in in a pretty um, you know normal family, uh, mother and father there with two sisters, and um, spent a lot of time um, you know uh, doing things like playing in the mud, and um, had a lot of energy growing up. Um, that was always part of my hallmark. Was I, I had a lot of joy, and I had a lot of energy. Uh, my mom. Uh, like to call me Tigger. Um, and for the younger audience, that was uh, a tiger that bounced on his tail around uh, Winnie the Pooh. And um, that was really kind of uh, who I was that and, you know, I, I think half the photos of me growing up have me in a, a Cookie Monster t-shirt. So a um, lot of joy, a lot of excitement, um, a lot of energy that was sometimes difficult to contain. Living in the South, a lot of times people are always outside doing those activities that you wouldn't see in other areas of the country. Was that something that you enjoyed so much? Because you talked about playing in the mud or were you that active at a young age? Oh, yeah, we were. I mean, our family was one where we were outdoors a lot. So um, we did family camping trips. Um, you know, it was lighter on the wallet that way. And um, you know, lots of hiking, uh, visited state parks. Um, and even if it wasn't a state park, it was, you know, just a park. So, um, and, and we grew up in that era where it was, you know, you went out and you played with all the neighborhood kids and, and got into trouble, uh, that way. Um, you know, there wasn't, uh, you know, we, we had Atari, uh, but that was just starting to come into existence when, um, when I was younger. So it was all outdoors and, um, you know, getting involved with the local community. Keeping with that outdoor theme, did you kind of keep that going as you got older or were you finding new things that you enjoyed doing? It's a good question. I actually, um, a big part of my story was um, I really drifted from that uh, as a person. You know, I got into college and, you know, I was still active. I did uh, all sorts of intramural sports and um, I was never really good. You know, I'm, I'm a, a towering 5'9 um, and, uh, you know, I, I can get to speeds that means uh, I, I can zigzag and, and not get tagged and, and chased. But, you know, I, I was never going to be an elite athlete. My, my top level of performance was um, junior high tennis. Um, and then, you know, when I graduated and, and moved into feeling like I needed to start that family and start that career path, um, it was really heads down. And I kind of lost a lot of who I was. 
as you were getting older, were there any motivations or inspirations in your life? Yeah, you know, um, I, I think, you know, my, my dad was probably the, the biggest uh, motivator in my life for sure. Um, he just, there was something about him that he possessed that perfect balance of, um, you know, uh, caring for the family, um, you know, going in and, and putting the time in at work. He was an exploration geophysicist, which, um, you know, I always thought was pretty darn cool, but it meant he, he basically looked at a bunch of graphs to try to figure out where the oil was or oil could be um, for oil companies, which, you know, employed most of the people in, in Houston. But, um, you know, I, I think that was kind of an, an inspiration, but, you know, as I started learning more about family history, um, you know, I, the, the person that I kind of identify most with a little bit is, um, my great grandpa Hudson, he, or he came over, um, strode away twice to come to America. Um, let me go back to, so my great grandfather, um, he stowed away twice on, um, a ship to come to the U S and, um, wanted to be part of the military. So he actually found a, a courthouse in Maine that burned down and then said that he was born there and he joined the military, uh, working on cars and ended up being, um, the personal driver for General Pershing as he started chasing uh, Pancho Villa across Mexico. Um, but he did everything in his life from being a potato farmer to, you know, being the chauffeur and um, ultimately ended up settling down in Woodlake, Texas as a dairy farmer. And really kind of the, inspira the inspiring part of that story for me is really you know, just follow your dreams and, and, and follow whatever it is that needs to get done in order to get things done. And, and um, that's what he did. And it's kind of where I am today. Um, so it was an inspiring figure for me. I think that's so important nowadays where people follow their dreams, because a lot of times they're always hesitant on what path they're going to take, because maybe it's too hard or the financial part about it but there's always a way to make it happen. Even if you're taking that longer path, it doesn't always have to be short like they see with social media nowadays. But if you take that longer path, it gives you that drive to make sure that you're gonna hit that goal or that dream that you wanna accomplish. Yeah, and, and what's amazing is, you know, some of the, uh, the most amazing accomplishments that I've, I've encountered really have actually started with stepping in, stepping into somebody else's dream. Um, I, you know, you mentioned that I do uh, obstacle course racing and I'm an ultra obstacle course racer. And so um, the way I entered into uh, ultra endurance athlete territory uh, was really um, stepping into somebody else's dream. Um, and he, uh, he was a type one diabetic and we'll talk about that a little bit later because, uh, that's my challenge, but, um, he wanted to run across the state of Texas, which is 850 miles. And I thought, man, that is a really long way to run, but I'd like to start you off, um, by, you know, coming alongside you and running for that first day. And then I realized, wait a minute, that's, that's what I want to do. 
let me just ask you, what is, what is going to be the most challenging day for you? And he said, day four. Now, day four was, it, it started from a, uh, it was listed as abandoned Greyhound station um, and ended at Guadalupe Mountain. And so really the only way that you could run day four with Don Muchow is if you ran day one through four. So all of a sudden, uh, I was now becoming an ultra marathoner. And so I ran um, four days straight, 110 miles with Don to, to help pace him. And I never knew that I could kind of take it to quite that level until I stepped into his dream. Um, so sometimes, you know, if you step into somebody else's dream, you'll find a dream that you never even thought you'd have. When you got that opportunity to run with him, were you looking at it as, ooh, this is a fun challenge for me, or I'm able to test myself to see, can I do this in a way? Uh, I'm sure there was a little bit of that in the back of my mind, but honestly, um, it, it's funny. Being an endurance athlete, I actually hate running. Um, <laughs> You, you throw obstacles out there. I'm all in. Like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a survivor guy. I'm like American Ninja Warrior. I've auditioned for both shows. You know, the, you throw an obstacle in front of me. The only obstacle we had out there was like, you know, tripping on our own feet after being out there for 36 miles, you know. See, I'm like you. I'd rather do the obstacle courses, not run. Because even when I was growing, I'm like, can we not run? Can we just get to the activity or something? When you, what was that feeling like when you kind of finished that leg of the kind of the run with him? You know, it was, uh, it was really, really satisfying to know that I had done that. Um, and, and what was really honestly, the, the biggest shock beyond that is, um, you know, and I bet it happens for a lot of people in, in business or, or whatever mountaintop that you hit was, um, there was a physical response afterwards that was uh, a little bit of, I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, I felt, you know, a little bit low mood. You know, the body is just trying to recover from going through that exertion. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a mountaintop and there was definitely a valley. Were you ever thinking that this could lead to a career in kind of that athlete stat status for you? Or were you going for another part of or a different path, but this was also a path that you still wanted to continue also. It actually became kind of, um, it, it was part of a bigger journey. So um, when I was diagnosed with diabetes and, and just quickly for the audience sake, you know, when you've got type one diabetes, you are um, basically operating your body on manual mode. Um, and, uh, you have to monitor your inputs and outputs. The, the best way I can describe it is if you had to, uh, figure out how to breathe, um, so that you were breathing enough oxygen all the time, that's what we do, except for we do it with insulin and, and getting sugar into our, our system. Well, that really set me backward. Um, and in fact, I spent 10 years just kind of in this dark space of, of not really, you know, I was still trying to pursue career stuff, um, but I really didn't have, um, you know, uh, that my dreams weren't attainable. I felt like everything had shifted. 
Um, and then my wife, you know, introduced me to or, or found this savage race, which was um, at the time, you know, or survival race, I think it was. And at the time, it sounded like, you know, the worst obstacles that you could ever face. And man, how could you jump over fire? And, you know, the reality was you got out there and it was a 5k with, you know, a couple barrels that you jumped over and, and a log that was slightly burning. But at the end of it, I felt like, wow, this is like, this is cool. And it didn't really, you know, it didn't dawn on me later until um, that I noticed, hey, you know what, this is really tying into something that I used to be. This, I was very energetic. Um, I love playing in the mud. My preschool had a mud day. Like we made mud pies and like, you know, it was, and it was crawling through the mud and everything else. So suddenly I was thrust back to connecting to something that I used to be. And it was really along that path of obstacle course racing that I found uh, a community that I could embrace that then led me into uh, the future that um, I, I wanted to create. Um, and that's where, you know, along the way I found Don, I got the opportunity to run alongside him. And that's where I kind of got the idea of, well, look, if, if he can run across Texas um, and he can start it by just getting up off the couch and going a little bit further each day, then I can apply the same thing with obstacle course racing. And so I started doing, um, uh, um, I did a Tough Mudder one day and then woke up the next day and did another Tough Mudder. So back to back Tough Mudders. And then eventually I started running multiple laps of the Tough Mudder on the same day. And it led to me gathering this group of, of diabetics together and um, all taking on what is to me, the crown jewel of, of obstacle course racing, which is world's toughest mutter, which is a 24 hour obstacle course race. And you just do five mile laps until you drop uh, or the clock ends. And uh, so that was pretty exciting. We ended up having five, five diabetics out on the course together uh, at various times. I, I think one of us was on the course the entire time throughout the race and um, then we had a, a couple other uh, loved ones with us and we together ran over 200 miles um, over that 24 hour period. So pretty exciting. So you kind of mentioned it a little bit, but talk about the diagnosis of you finding out that you're becoming a diabetic, because that's always a story that anytime I talk to diabetics, it's everyone has a different way of how they found out. How was your finding out? Yeah. So I was, I was 26 years old. Um, uh, I was exhibiting the classic signs of excessive thirst, uh, excessive hunger, uh, losing weight. Um, you know, I mentioned I'm five, nine, you know, uh, I'm 160 today. I was 30 pounds lighter when I was diagnosed, um, which is, you know, pretty small. Um, and so I was, I was basically eating my, my body away. Um, and, uh, finally didn't, didn't really know what was going on. And honestly, I, I was working so hard and trying to take care of, um, the family at the same time that, um, I, uh, you know, I didn't really know what was going on and, um, but, you know, got in, got to the doctors, they knew immediately what it was. And, and from there, that's where I was left sitting on the couch going, now what? 
I'm diabetic. Now what? I can't do all the things that I thought I could do before. Um, you know, I had always dreamed of, of doing an Ironman as a kid. That was kind of one of those things. And, um, and the truth is, is that I'm a much stronger person today, whether it be in, um, you know, the community that I've found, the, the um, business skills that I've adopted through uh, diabetes. Um, it, it's been a catalyst for my life. Do you think it was better that you found out at the age you were compared to being younger? As for myself, I found out when I was 11. And so basically through those tough times and those college days, I had an experience with it. Do you think which do you think it was better for you to find out that net then instead of earlier? Yeah, you know, there's a it's always a, a good back and forth debate where where I've settled is that um, I'm glad I was diagnosed as an adult um, for the reason that um, parents go through a lot as parents of diabetics. And um, it's one thing for me to have to manually operate my body but it's way more difficult for a parent to help operate a, a body on manual mode because they can't sense what their child is feeling. And sometimes, you know, children are young enough that the child can't communicate what they're feeling. And so I, I definitely look at uh, it as a blessing. It, you know, things happen at the right time in life and it, it happened at the right time. I was at a place where I would not focus any time on myself I focused on my career. I focused on taking care of my kids. I focused on making sure my ex-wife had whatever she needed. Like all of that was focusing on everyone else. And the only time that I would ever spend time focusing on myself was when I got knocked on my butt and could not get up from low blood sugar. I, I think you kind of hit it right on the point where it kind of happened at the right time in a way, because I was going down a path where... I was not eating the best sodas in the morning, lunch, dinner at night. And I think when I got it, it like you said, I kind of went through that weight loss and then I had to rebuild myself, but it came at the right time because it kind of made me look at my life and see where do I need to make changes? And I think it's made me stronger. You talked about how it kind of put you in a place where you didn't know if you could still do the things you could do, like being active, being outside and stuff. For other people that are going through something that's similar, what would you tell them to be able to tell themselves that they can still do it like their friends are doing it? Yeah, I think if you can boil life down to um, your appetite for risk and you're willing to take on risk and you know, I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, life is lived at the edges and, and there's certain truth to that, but I think there's a lot of life to live before you even get to the edge. So people focus on the edges, but if you just think about, um, diabetes as a, an additional element that you've got to add and factor into whatever you're doing and you say, okay, so what, level of risk can I take today, knowing what I know today uh, with my diabetes. And um, that's really the path that you can move forward. So if you want to run a marathon, 
keep that goal, but don't go try to run five miles today. If you've, if you haven't run one, you know, start by doing a walk around the block and, and load up your bag full of, um, you know, for your audience, like diabetics carry bags full of everything. Like we've got (laughs) medicines and medical supplies that sweat off and like, you know, you got to have backup food and you got to have backup needles and backup meters and all this other stuff. Just load yourself up a backpack if you want and go walk around the block. Um, And then go walk around the block two times and three times. And then maybe you feel comfortable enough to go a little bit further. And maybe you don't need the full backpack of things. Maybe you need a little bit more. And what you find is not only do you get more comfortable and you're taking less risk, but additionally, your body is learning along the way. And so where you might go out and walk initially and your blood sugar drop immediately, um, over time, your body's actually going to moderate it and, and be able to adjust and, and not drop as quickly. And you're going to know like what you need to do with your insulin and how far in advance to do it. And, and you're going to know what food to take along uh, with you to, to bring it up. So I, I think the big thing is, is if you treat things like an experiment, I'm going to do X and see what happens, then life is about discovery and you never know where your discoveries are going to take you. I love getting um, told, oh, well, you can't do that because you're a diabetic. I go, well, I mean, I can. I just do it in a different way or I'm going to put a different amount of effort. Yes, I'm not going to eat a whole cake because one, I don't eat. I can't do that. But I'm going to still be able to experience life. And because when you look at us, we're just a normal person. We just have something going on with our lives, but we don't let that be our identity unless we want to share it and be involved with the community. And I love when you talked about the community of runners, when you're with that group, you guys are always know what you guys are going through. Does that make you stronger and the bond between you guys are stronger? Oh, 100%. I mean, uh, look, it, it starts here. I loved obstacle racing before I loved obstacle racing with diabetics. And even before I found the diabetic community. And the reason why was because no grumpy people get up in the morning to go run in mud. Like, it's, <laughs> it's all happy people. That's right? true. And if you go to the right obstacle course races, which this Tough Mudder does in a, a phenomenal way about this, is at the beginning of the race, you look left, you look right, and you say, you are now my teammate, because it's all about getting everyone to the end of the course, not about being the first person across the line. Um, so I took that community, and actually, I, I took the obstacle course racing community, I put it out there on on uh, Instagram because I thought it was pretty unique being a 40 year old guy, like doing obstacle course races, you know, and, and sometimes keeping up with the 25 year olds. Like (laughs) I I like, I like that when I can do that. Right. Um, But in finding this community of obstacle course racers, I actually found a community of diabetics and, and that actually really opened up the doors into working with the diabetes sports project Um, you know, they posted an opportunity to go run the California international marathon. And I hadn't run a marathon before. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to do this, you know, I need to get other people around me. There's, there's something about in an obstacle course race that, you know, the biggest obstacles require the greatest number of people to accomplish together. 
And at the end, that's the biggest number of high fives. So Mm -hmm. me going and run, running a a California international marathon with the diabetes sports project was the perfect environment for me to test my limits. Um, It lowered my risk and I could experiment in a place where I knew somebody had my back around me. Um, and that journey with the Dias, uh, diabetes sports project has now led to now I'm, I'm, um, you know, we're all volunteer leadership, but I'm now the, uh, chief operating officer for diabetes sports project. And now I get to help expand what we're doing, uh, about sharing the message of, you know, exercising with diabetes and living an active lifestyle and, um, and really focusing on, on that education and um, inspiration for and, and giving people events to go, you know, learn to run in a safe environment. I think that's so important nowadays because a lot of people see like exercises and workouts from all over the internet. And it's hard to know what is good and what's bad, but with us diabetics, we know that if we're listening to someone that is going through something similar to us, we're kind of going to trust them a little bit more in a way. So it's nice that there's a platform out there that we all can go to and we can get this great advice and be able to still make a difference in this world, but still do the things that we love to do. Yeah. And and that's actually what led me to my passion project, which um, is, is doing life coaching for diabetics, um, you know, uh, through learning, um, my wife, uh, Heather was, uh, who introduced me into the obstacle course racing. She went back to get her master's in counseling after being a CPA for years, because she felt compelled that this was going to be a, a, a career path for her. And um, I really got into um, some of the learning that she was doing uh, and did a lot of studying alongside her. She was uh, contemplating being a life coach before um, actually going and getting her master's in counseling. And so I picked up where she left off in kind of the life coaching area. And, and now I can help coach diabetics and, and I do, you know, um, uh, help them, you know, learn how to... Um, whether it's exercise, a lot of it's career. And honestly, the, the biggest area of need for, for people with diabetes is really that transition from um, of, of teenagers uh, about to leave home. And um, there's coaching that the parents need on how do I help release a child and feel okay that I've released my child. Um, and for the child who's now an adult, but still viewed by a child as a child by the parents, you know, how, how can I communicate with my parents um, in a way that lets them know that I've got it and that I'll come to them when I don't have it, you know? And, and so we do a lot of uh, working with teenagers on, on communications, but um, it's been a great, uh, you know, I wish I could do it full time, but it's, it's just, it's, um, it's, there's a, there's a lot of need out there for sure. Um, and the, the, I think the biggest challenge is, is finding that space where, um, you know, I, I do a balance of, of paying clients and pro bono clients because diabetes is, is expensive. When you're with those clients what are you trying to focus on their goals or like look at their overall lifestyle and where can they 
help, where can you help them a little bit more? Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of people that believe firmly about, you know, six step programs or six weeks programs or six month programs. Um, I believe in really coming alongside uh, the person where they are. Um, and I've actually coached type two diabetics. I've coached non-diabetics. Um, I, I think everything that I do is really um, based on research and analysis and, and all the studying that I've done um, and helping clients, but it's all on focused on the individual's goals. Because if the individual does not have, uh, you know, increasing their insulin sensitivity as a goal, then all the, I could spend all the time in the world trying to teach them how to make their body more insulin sensitivity or more insulin uh, sensitive to insulin. Um, but they're not going to get there because that's not their goal. Mm -hmm. um, so I spent a lot of time focusing in on what is your relationship with the diabetes? What is your relationship with your family? What is the relationship with your spouse or your kids? And um, what do you want that relationship to look like? So it's, it's relationship based, it's one-on-one. -on -one, um, and, you know, I've had clients that want to lose weight. I've had clients that want to learn how to run a marathon. I've had clients that just want to be able to wake up in the morning and not have to text their parent that, um, you know, that they're still alive that day um, because, you know, there's that amount of fear kind of in that relationship. When you're giving the advice to someone, are you taking it from your experience where how you had to tell your family about the things that you're going through? Because I know I'm always dealing with that every day because it it's always that one bad day that your family or coworkers or friends look at, but they don't look at that month that you had good days. It's always that one bad day. So are you taking it from your experience or have you gotten it from other diabetics in the community? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So sure. I I've got a lot of personal experience um, and I can speak from my experience. Um, but uh, I, I pretty much read every diabetic book known to man and have tried different um, theories associated with it. I meet separately with CEOs of glucose, you know, of um, diabetic companies uh, really around understanding what are our tools? Um, what are our relationship tools? Um, what are, uh, you know, just the basic, um, I, I honestly, I, I leverage a lot of the, the 30 years of business experience I have, um, because ultimately, you know, managing relationships within a business is important as well. So, um, I took, and then I, I went through a coaching certification program. So I, I definitely draw from personal experience, but I would say that, you know, it's probably 20% personal experience and probably 80%, um, you know, studying and researching. And yeah, I got my own diabetes diploma. <laughs> I need to find that. Just have that plaque on my put on my wall and be like, I graduated college again. Well, here's here's the tricky truth: is even if you've got a diabetes diploma, it doesn't mean that that oh, uh, like you're you got it all down. It just means that um, you know. One of the things I learned from Don was: look, you you go out and you train in order to make mistakes. You go out and you do things in order to make mistakes. Once you've made the mistake, then you know how to address it in the future. And 
spend time dreaming up what mistakes could be coming and then plan on how you would address them. But, you know, it's, it's funny because there's so many people that you tell them what's happening with diabetes and, and, you know, how difficult it is to manage. And it is 100%, you know, and I am not somebody that will just, you know, um, say, you know, smile and it'll go away or, you know, (laughs) I think we wish that could happen. Right. Like there's, you know, there's all sorts of platitudes that people offer, but I, I, what I do really well is, is sitting in that dark room with someone and just saying, yeah, you know what, this, this does suck. And, um, you know, but I've jumped in that hole with them in that dark space and I will sit with them until they see the light on their own. I might comment on things that I see a little bit brighter than dark. Um, but I am never going to push somebody for that door because I want that person to find that door on their own. I am not a, I'm not going to flip the lights on and and tell you that, that you need to go. Um, but you know, where I was going with that is really, I don't think anyone would wish diabetes on anyone else, but what I've found is that embracing of community. I never would have gotten in with the diabetes sports project the way I did. I never would have been connected the way I am to a lot of people that I I really uh, love and respect and enjoy spending time with. Um, But then, um, you know, in the business world, I've got a sense of urgency um, like nobody else. If, if you think about it, um, you know, businesses, they, they look at something and they say, we need to sign this $1 million client. And everyone just has that big pipeline number out there. Or let's say it's a $365,000 a year client that they're trying to sign up. You know, for me, I'm looking at that and going, wait a minute, if it's $365,000 a year, then that means it's $1,000 a day that I don't sign up that client. And the reason why I do that is because of diabetes. If I don't act now when I have a low, then I could drop into a coma. If I don't act when I have a high, I could drop into a coma. There is a inherent sense of urgency that I have that nobody can compete with in business. I love that analogy because there's things that we do that people can relate if they don't have it, because we take care of ourselves, like you might take care of your business in a way. And I think if people were in our shoes, they would see the hard work that we're doing to live a life that we can feel comfortable, but they can see those mistakes that we make and how we quickly change it or quickly make adjustments. And then they probably would be able to understand what we go through because I think that's the hardest part I have with, I mean, I've had situations where my coworkers, they have the right to freak out if I miss a meeting, but if I tell them why and how I don't have control, then they kind of start realizing I'm able to calm them down in a way. And you, you talked about it be, being connected with the community. And that's why I love connecting with other diabetics from all different backgrounds, industries, experiences, because you see what other people have gone through and you can kind of see what has worked for them, what hasn't worked for them. And not say that you're going to do exactly how they are, but you're able to make those small little tweaks and maybe it could work 
and you kind of do those test trials, but you get to enjoy and it kind of, you kind of go through the battle with them. It seems like we've gone through this journey with each other, even though we've lived in completely different lifestyles, but we have that one common thread that connects us to this community. Yeah. I I think, you know, if you look at um, generally like business books and and things like that, they talk about the speed of trust or, you know, drawing, um, drawing a connection quickly. There is one thing that all of us as diabetics have, and that is a connection to this, daily looking at data and, and really trying to make decisions based on it. And, um, and, you know, I, I'm pretty practical about it. You know, there's days where I don't have much to think about with diabetes. It's kind of on auto mode, but there are days that are really big, you know, really uh, tough. And, um, but, you know, I, I manage it in a lot of ways. The way I, I manage my business environment is that I'm, I'm data driven. So, you know, I look at my blood sugars or I know I've got something that's tracking it every five minutes uh, is a funny uh, side note. I worked in investor relations for a number of years. And so, you know, my company was trading on the stock exchange and then I had my blood sugar changing every minute. And so I could say that I could track my personal and my business performance by five minute increments because my blood sugar would either go up and down and where my stock would go up and down. And the reality is, and in, in neither case was, you know, I wholly responsible for either situation. But I, I think if you go about handling your business and, and some days you're going to put across a plus work. And I'd love to say that I put across a plus work every day, but other days you're, you're going to do a C and, and sometimes C is, is good enough to get it across the line. You don't have to have a plus every day. Could you imagine if our blood sugars gave us money, if we were actually in the right target range, like investment stocks? I mean, I would be, I think you would see so many diabetics working a lot harder. And I think I would be the same way. I'd be like, uh, we aren't getting loaded nights. Like it ain't happening. I could just, that's the wave of the future. You talk yeah, about- I, I got to, I got to put together that partnership between Robin Hood and somebody else. You know? <laughs> we're gonna start that company and make so much money off of it there you go (laughs) you talked about a different job do you like having kind of the freedom and having that um kind of your schedule being a life coach than being in investment relations well so the reality is um today um i have a very interesting time management uh, capability because um, I'm training for an Ironman. I am a life coach uh, with a limited number of clients. Um, I'm a, a finance executive for a, a publicly traded company. Um, I'm writing a book, and I am the you know uh, chief operating officer of a nonprofit organization and. What I've found is if you can structure your day in a way that is um, kind of planned but not scheduled um, uh, to a certain degree, then, then you can figure out what needs to get done. I, I use a lot of the, you know, is this important um, or not important? Is this uh, urgent or not urgent? And, and classifying my responsibilities. But I basically do my, my coaching outside of my um, 
uh, day job. Um, the coaching, you know, I, I've never wanted to, uh, it's, it's my passion project. I enjoy helping people. I, I don't want to have to sit out there and, and market all the time and, you know, be pushing people to join me. Um, I've got a great partnership with the uh, uh, Children, Children's Medical Center of Dallas and, and they um, refer clients to me and um, you know, a, a few come through Instagram, but I, I keep a very small client base so that I can work on all the other things that I'm also interested about. And it kind of goes back to, you know, uh, where it all began, which is how you like to start these podcasts, which is, you know, I love dabbling in everything. And um, I don't feel like I have to constrain myself to uh, one thing, you know, I can go put in 40 hours of work on, you know, a, a company and, and sometimes, you know, that business, it, you know, it becomes 60 or 80. Well, that just means that I, I can only have one coaching client, or maybe I don't have any coaching clients during that time period. Um, and honestly, you know, my book's been set aside for, for quite some time because I've just been too busy other areas, but it's all stuff that I'm working towards. It's all things that I want to do. The Ironman keeps moving. So, you know, my training's like going like this, you know, <laughs> it's now been delayed from October. It's, it was supposed to be April of 2020. Then it got moved to October of 2020. Then it got moved to April of 21. And then it got moved to October of 21. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, one of these days I will be able to say that I'm a full Ironman as opposed to half Ironman. And it, I'll, I'll be able to really connect back to moments that I would sit with my dad, who's now deceased, um, and watch ABC's Wild World of Sports and, and enjoy the Ironman. I think you need to find another project for you. You're not doing enough. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's that uh, there's a little bit of that in entrepreneurial spirit of just, you know, if there's white space that is begging to be um, identified and uh, addressed, uh, I'm going to do it. And um, that's a lot of what I've done in, in my, um, you know, business environment as I come in, I optimize processes. Um, and then, you know, it, I hire good people uh, and I coach them and I train them up. I use the, the life coaching skills that I have in the business environment for, you know, training up good managers and, um, you know, every company, I, the companies I've worked for in the past, I'll spend 10 years at one, eight years at another, um, but I'm rotating to the greatest area of need. So are you able to reveal kind of the theme that your book is going to be about? Yeah. And, you know, everything, my Instagram account and, and the brand that I built, I guess, is, is really, it's chronic superhuman and it's inclusive. Meaning if you have a chronic condition, you are by definition superhuman. And, and here's the logic behind it. And I don't care whether it's diabetes or um, some other chronic condition, um, because there's a lot of chronic illnesses out there um, and we share a lot of the same common struggles with them. But if you think about diabetes or a chronic condition, it's always there. And as a human with a chronic condition, I am having to do extra. I have to do more. Um, and what is another word for extra? Well, it's super. And so by definition, if you got up 
and you woke up this morning, you are a chronic superhuman. And so it's really about who we are and not about me. It's more about who we are um, facing chronic conditions. We are superhuman and we need to have that as a reminder sometimes because I, I, there's some times where I'm just like, I, I get up and I'm, I'm walking across the room and I'm like, I can barely walk across the room. What is wrong with me? And then I'll eventually figure out that, you know, my numbers just hadn't caught up to me and I was having a low blood sugar event. And the reason why my body was not wanting to move was because it was trying to conserve energy because it, it, it thought it didn't have any. Right. So um, I, I think it's important for us to remember that when we walk around the block, that's a super, superhuman effort. When we vacuum a room, which lowers blood sugar for some unknown reason <laughs> more than anything else, but it's it's like you want to you got high blood sugar, go vacuum. But um, I'll get kids doing the chores, right? Exactly. Like seriously, uh, in fact, parents, you know, you know, the uh, think of the kid that never is going to want to have high blood sugar again because he's always vacuuming, right? Get them to vacuum. I love, <laughs> I love that. Put it on a neon sign right now. (laughs) But that's the whole concept is like, no matter what we're doing, we're doing it as a superhuman because we're dealing with something that may or may not be visible to others, but it is extra that we have to do. You kind of mentioned this throughout the interview, but talk about what's next for you. You talked about the Ironman competition that's still getting scheduled and keep getting postponed, but you're still working towards that, but what other personal and professional goals are you working towards the next couple of years? You know, I, I like to dream them up as, as I go, uh, to be honest. Uh, you know, I, I think I do crazy things like, um, uh, so I'm turning 47 this year. Uh, last year I turned 46 and, um, you know, the day before my birthday, I was, you know, I was training still and, I ran five miles and I felt like I was really having a hard time breathing. And I I all of a sudden thought I was having COVID. And um, so I came in that night and I walked into where my wife was. And I said, you know, uh, tomorrow's my birthday and we're not really doing anything because of COVID. Right. And she's like, no, I was like, you know, I, I think I'm going to run 46 miles for my 46th birthday. And she's like, didn't you just say you had, you know, trouble running five miles? And I said, yeah, you know, but if, if, uh, if I run 46 miles and surely I don't have COVID. Um, and, and so that's what I did. Like I went out and I, I, you know, the very next day I ran 46 miles. So, um, I was looking at at one point this year, I thought it'd be fun to run 47 miles and add a 47 mile bike ride, but instead I'm just going to enjoy some time with, uh, with the family. Um, but you know, I, I, I found that there was an obstacle course race this weekend in Dallas. So, uh, I'm, I'm in, I'm going to go race. And, um, but I think longer term, you know, there's, uh, I've had some moments where I've come up with ideas that um, business pivots that could make a billion dollars and actually have a pipeline, uh, you know, referenceable pipeline to that billion dollars or a business product idea 
that I've come up with. And then a year later, somebody launches it in market and it's in Time Magazine as a product of the year. Um, I would love to be able to lead a company to putting something out there like that. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of conversations with um, companies that I'm in about transformation and changing, you know, really based around the sense of urgency that I have. Um, and I, I enjoy being that guy within the organization that, uh, you know, can be a catalyst uh, and the right hand to somebody. Um, but I'd love to be that somebody someday, you know, um, and, and that's where I think, you know, getting the opportunities that I've had to, you know, run us and Canada for a, a multinational company was, was pretty excited and I'm looking forward to getting back to there or, you know, who knows, maybe I'll build the billion dollar company someday. I mean, Eric, I'm still just amazed about the whole running 46 miles. I mean, that I couldn't even, I mean, I probably would be passed out by, well, I, like I said, I don't run. I don't, I don't like running. I need those obstacles. And I can just imagine you just like jump over like trash cans on your way just to put an <laughs> obstacle out there because I'm going back thinking, I'm like, he says he doesn't like running, but he likes obstacles if they're in the run. And I'm thinking, how did he do like, I mean, like you, you just said, like you come up with stuff and I mean, you got to videotape it next time. You got to video, <laughs> get a GoPro. I need to see you running those 47 miles because I need the proof. I, well, yeah, the, the funny thing about that is so um, I'm doing it and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm running laps around the house, right? Because I, I, I want a low risk situation because I'm putting my thing and and there's a mile lap that I can do pretty much around the house so my neighbors thought I was crazy I had just <laughs> um neighbors totally thought I was crazy especially because I started at like 5 30 in the morning and finished well late into the afternoon uh, I think it was like 14 hours in total running with two 30 minute breaks but um you know I I'm sitting there and my phone is starting to die and I'm counting on, you know, my watch and Strava because I, you darn well are going to have evidence that I, I ran the 46 miles. So um, partway through Strava dies and I have to reopen Strava and some, I, I forget whether it was like phone versus watch or something like that at some point. And so my, my, you know, tombstone, um, which it could have been a tombstone. That was pretty tough, but you know, the tombstone image is it's two overlays of two Stravas started and stopped on top of each other because, um, even though my battery died and my watch died, I didn't give up. Wow. Okay. Now, now it makes sense with the whole running around your house, because I think that was smart because if anything happened, you just walk in instead of being somewhere out, like miles away from your house. And yeah. Wow. I mean that, I mean, that's that, like you, it's superhuman. I will say that is, it fits. You got to get a cost, get a t-shirt, t-shirt costume. I mean, it's just amazing to hear. And that's what I love. These stories is because the things that people do that they're passionate about, the things that they want to accomplish, it's amazing. And it shows that we're all rising to the challenge. Even if our stories are not similar, we all do it in different ways, but we're all chasing that goal that we want to accomplish. Yeah. And I think 
it's really important um, that people own their success. Um, your challenge is unique to you. Um, a lot of people will look at somebody that has a particular challenge and they'll say, wow, that's, that's really, you know, that's really tough, man. I, or, or even, you know, I take the example with, with Don and, you know, I, I ran 110 miles in four days, but for the longest time, I couldn't even say that without going, yeah, but you know, Don ran 850 miles and now Don actually has run from Disneyland to Disney world. Like he ran across the United States, um, which is amazing, but you know what? Like I can still own my success. His challenge is different than mine. Your challenge is different than mine. And I think people look at, you know, what is uh, a challenge? I mean, for some people, um, you know, it, it's a mental health thing where it's a challenge to get out of bed today. And if you rise to that challenge and you overcome and you get out of bed every single day, even though you like don't you know, feel well enough or don't feel like you can, or you have anxiety or agoraphobia. I mean, whatever it is, you need to own the success that you have because your challenge is your challenge and nobody can make it not a challenge for you. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, overcome challenges, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? I go back to definitely experimentation is, is my, um, is, is the thing that you, the tool that you need to adopt. Um, and, and the reason why is if you step forward with a very specific expectation and you do not achieve that expectation every time, then it can get really discouraging and what you're trying to accomplish. But if you just say, what if, Hey, what if I did this? Like I, I spent years saying, I can't do this. But when I started saying, well, what if, or how would I, um, or what would happen if, and what's great about that is you never really know what's going to happen. Um, especially if it's a place that you've never been before. And through that process of experimentation, you know, success is, is the path that just forms from failures on either side. So find that path of success by experimenting all around you. Well, Eric, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people with the things that you do, and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you, Alex. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.